Well, thank you, Pastor Holly. Here's the thing. If any of you kiddos are watching at home right now, and you're going to make those little sticks, and the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to write on that stick, make cookies for Pastor Eric. I'm just saying, I think he would bless that, okay? So thank you, Pastor Holly. That was absolutely awesome. Hey, it is so good to be with you, whether you're watching from your living room, from your backyard, maybe your poolside, maybe you're hanging out in your car, driving somewhere, or you're watching this later or listening later. We are so glad that you're here with us. My name is Eric, and I am one of the pastors here at Purpose Church, and I am a creature of habit. Literally, I mean, when I get excited about something, I kind of do a deep dive, and I stay really locked on whatever that is. It doesn't matter if I'm going to Starbucks. I get the same drink. And I'm telling you, my, my diet has not changed since I was about 12 years old. And what I mean by that is I get a strawberry acai refresher. And people make fun of me all the time because they're like, you're a grown man with children. Drink coffee. And I'm like, I can't handle it. But strawberry acai, that's my jam. And so I drink that uh, whenever I go to Starbucks. Or whenever I go to McDonald's, I order the exact same combination. And yes, I do go to McDonald's. Uh, I would use the word often. And and so often that I actually have gotten to know some of the employees at our local McDonald's here uh, in Pomona. One of them, her name is Sharon, and she actually goes here to Purpose Church. And the other day I was in the drive-thru, and I pulled up, and there's my girl Sharon, who just is amazing. She loves the Lord, and, and she starts crying, and she goes, Pastor Eric, I need you to pray for me, but I got like 10 seconds before I got to get you through the line. And so we just say this 10-second prayer in the line at McDonald's. I don't know what it is for you, but for me... I am a creature of habit, and I also love singing the same songs. So, I mean, I'll get hooked on a song, and I'll just sing it over and over and over again. One of the songs that I'm really, really stoked on right now that I'm listening to at least three to five times every single day is the song by the Sunday Service Choir called Lift Up Your Voices. And I'm telling you, this song is my jam. I absolutely love it. And, and, and the song, it goes like this. It goes, lift up your voices now, sing praises unto God. For all the things that he has done. Come on, can I get an amen in the chat? I need you out there. All for it and all to him. He is the morning sun. Sing praises unto God. We lift our voices to God. Oh, man, if you're John Burroughs out there, maybe Pastor Jarrett, you're like, hey, would you be a part of our worship team, our choir? The thing is, I love this song. And you know why I sing it over and over and over again? Because it's a song about lifting up your voice when you're downcast, when you're hurting, when, when you're struggling. It's an anthem to keep going. And I think some of you tuning in right now, listening or watching, you're wondering if it's worth it to keep going. I mean, you, may, you may post some really great Instagram photos of you and your family. You may tell lots of people that you're doing okay, everything's great. But I think some of you out there deep in your soul and your spirit, you're wondering, is it worth it to keep going? What I want to do is I want to look at our passage together and it feels like God has just kind of lifted the words off the pages to you and I to remind us and to give us four reasons to keep going. Four reasons to keep 
going. And I just feel like we need to pray right now. I want to pause for a minute because I think there's somebody tuning in right now. There's somebody watching or listening that right now in this moment is is not just wondering, should I keep going in that job? And if that's you, you're going to be encouraged. Maybe you're wondering, should I keep going in this marriage? Should I keep going with following Jesus? Should I keep going in this fight for justice? Should I keep going as a first responder? Should Should I keep going as a teacher? I think there's some of you right now who you're wondering, should I even keep going at all? Holy Father, I ask that you would right now encourage each of our hearts that whatever is getting in the way of us thinking whether we should keep going or not, Lord, would you encourage us and would you speak to us There's nothing I could say that would inspire anyone to keep going, but a whisper from you, a touch from you, God, could change the direction of somebody's life. So Holy Spirit, would you remind us why we should keep going? I want to give us four ideas for why we should keep going, four reasons to keep going. And during this sermon, we're going to have a little call and response. And so the way that I've kind of worded the outline is it's very uh, first person. So, So you're going to be saying things along with me and repeating after me. And I think that's so important. My wife Sarah and I, as we're parenting our kids, we we have them oftentimes repeat things after us because what's repeated will be remembered. And we want them to know what our goals were were for them as parents. One of the things I do every night when I tuck my kids into bed is I say, guys, repeat after me. Dad loves Jesus. Dad loves mom. And dad loves me. And they say that. They say, dad loves Jesus. Dad loves mom. And dad loves me. I never want them to forget those three things. And so I'm going to invite you to respond with me. Big idea number one is this. God is not done with me. Oh man, some of you, some of you, are you just convinced that God is done with your story? You got caught doing something, something blew up, you, they found out about it, you're, you lost your job, you're struggling to make ends meet, you've been fighting this for a long time, and you're thinking God must just be done with me. You got a diagnosis that you don't know what to do with, and you're just convinced God is done with you. Well, repeat after me on the count of three, you need to say this, even if you're in a living room full of people, you I'll say it together with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God is not done with me. In fact, one of the best things we can do for each other is remind one another of this truth. Find me in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Peter says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. What is Peter saying here? He is not saying, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the first few words in this sentence. He is not saying that when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't sin anymore. No, he's saying something so much more profound than that. He's saying that sin's power 
has been dealt with by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So when he says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, what he's saying is that if you are a follower of Christ, you are going to suffer. But you need to remember that as you are suffering, it's not because you are sinning, it's because sin has been dealt with and you're telling the whole world with your life that the resurrected Jesus is the Lord of the universe. But Peter says, when you're suffering, you need to arm yourselves with the same attitude. What was the attitude of Christ? What was the mindset of Christ? Well, our brother, the apostle Paul, he says it this way in Philippians chapter two, verses five to eight. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So when you're interacting with people, arm yourselves, as Peter would say, have the same mindset and attitude as Christ. And this was the mindset and the attitude of Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus leveraged his privilege for me, not for himself. Jesus disadvantaged himself for the advantage of others. Christians, lean in for a second. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can just tune in and hold us Christians accountable to this. But if you are a follower of Jesus, lean in for a second. The attitude that glorifies God, the attitude that God desires you and I to have is one where we look around the world at any person who is disadvantaged and we leverage whatever we have towards their advantage to better and support and help them. That is when the church is beautiful. That's when the church stands out. That's when we become salt and light. Paul says that that we are called to be an instrument of righteousness in Romans chapter six, verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. We got sopranos and tenors and baritones, but God is calling his people to have the tone of righteousness that our lives would point people to the goodness of God, to the love of God, to the reconciliation power of God. This is his desire for you And I, and then Peter encourages his audience. He says, you know, there's this earthly life that we used to live according to. But then he says, find me at the end of verse two. But rather we are to live for the will of God that is our heavenly lives. Give up the earthly life and and live the heavenly life. Live for the will of God fixed 
on him. Verse three, Peter continues, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus, there will be people who will not understand you. There will be people who will misunderstand you. There will be people who will remind you of your past life, and you need to keep going Some of you are tempted right now because of all that's going on with COVID to just kind of revert, to just kind of go back, to kind of give in to the addiction, to keep the secret going. You were about to share it with those who needed to hear it, and now you are thinking about recoiling back. Keep going. Lean in because God is not done with you, and God is not done with me. Friends, your story is still being written. Oh, some of you, you, you just, you're not sure if you believe this because of an age or stage that you find yourself in, because of a diagnosis you're dealing with, because of a past sin, you're convinced your story is over, but your story is still being written. Don't put a period where God wants to put a comma. Can I get an amen out there? Some of you, you're putting a period at the end of your story, and you're saying, this is it. I'm absolutely done, and God is the God of commas. He's the God of saying, I am still writing your story. Hang on and trust me. Is there a part of your life where you put a period there and said, I'm over. It's done. God is still writing your story. Number two, second reason to keep going is this. I carry the gospel wherever I go. Repeat it at home with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I carry the gospel wherever I go. Look at what the text says, verse six and seven. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What Peter is addressing here is a question that many in the first century had, first century followers of Jesus had, and it was this. If somebody's alive and they hear the gospel and they trust in Jesus and then they die, what happens to them? What becomes of that person? Especially in light of the persecution they were facing. They're wondering if if the government structure of the day literally puts you to death for believing in Christ, what happens to that person? And Peter says, well, yeah, by human standards, they're dead, but according to God's standard, they are alive, meaning they have eternal life, meaning what happens to them here is not the end of their story. And so he says, it is so important that we would preach the gospel, that we would carry the gospel everywhere we go, because 
We don't know when will be the last time we see someone. We don't know when it will be the last time that we see that family member or that friend or that neighbor or that coworker. And you and I, here's a reason to not give up. Here's a reason to keep going. You and I carry the gospel with us. My wife, for much of our marriage, the majority of our marriage, has told me, you need to go get your snoring checked out because it's awful. It literally sounds like you're dying, Eric. This is what she's told me many times. And a few years ago, I said, okay, 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 I'll go. So I went and got this sleep study done. And my doctor is like this 80-year-old expert in the field. And he literally looked at me, and he's not like kind of a joking kind of guy. He looks at me and he goes, Eric, you have one of the worst cases of sleep apnea I've ever seen. And I immediately was like, man, I'm 30 years old. Like, I should be climbing walls and, and accomplishing great things. And you're telling me I have sleep apnea? And y'all, I was so embarrassed. I didn't want anyone else to know about it. I went in for the introduction where they gave me the machine that would literally be attached to my face. And I was thinking, this is the end of my story. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, God's done with me right now. I put that mask on for a few weeks and my life was changed. I mean, I know it sounded weird and crazy, and I wasn't about it in the beginning, and yet when I experienced the CPAP mask, when I experienced the remedy to sleep apnea, and I woke up and realized I could breathe, realized that I had more energy, realized that I was getting a good night's sleep, I was so excited. And hear me, hear me, here, here we go, here we go. So much so that I didn't just keep that secret to myself. I remember walking into airports and I, I figured I'd be so embarrassed by it. I'd figure I'd, I'd want to hide it. Wouldn't want any young people seeing that I had this sleep machine. And when I go to the airport, I carry that thing proud. You know what I mean? I, mean, I let everyone know, hey, here's my sleep machine. Changed my life. I don't care what you think about me. Here's the thing. My life is changed. I carry that sleep apnea machine with me everywhere I go when I stay overnight because it's changed me. And I want everyone to know about it, friends, we carry the gospel wherever we go. The question I want to ask you to ponder is this. Who in your oikos, in your sphere of influence, in the 8 to 15 people that God has strategically put in your life, your neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family, who in your oikos is God calling you to share the gospel with? Because you are carrying the gospel with you? Are you sharing it? There's a reason to keep going. Number three, reason number three to keep going is this. Learning to love will take me a lifetime. Let's say it again together. We're having fun, y'all. Let's say it again together on the count of three. One, two, three. Learning to love will take me a lifetime. Peter in verse eight says, Above all, uh, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's like Peter saying, hey, everything I've said is, is important, but tune in right now. Like, like take, take the AirPods off that are distracting you. Get off of Twitter, Instagram right now. Definitely delete your Snapchat because what I'm about to tell you, you need. And I don't want you to miss. Above all, 
love each other deeply. This idea of loving deeply shows up earlier in Peter's letter in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, love each other deeply. And here again in chapter 4, verse 8, love each other deeply. What he's saying is loving each other ain't going to be easy. Loving each other is, is not going to be convenient. Friends, if, if you're thinking about following Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a while and it feels hard and feels challenging, then you're probably doing it right. And it's going to change you. And it's going to heal you and restore you and do all kinds of wonderful things in your life. But it's also going to challenge you. Love each other deeply means that you and I have to ask the question, what does that look like? And it's not just Peter who's talking about it. Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. If your love right now is decreasing for people, then God's will and desire for your life is to do a course correct and increase that love for people and for each other. Um. I was, uh, I'm reading this book with our entire student ministries team that Pastor JT has encouraged us to read. It was such a powerful, important book for him on leadership. And so he is leading our entire team through this amazing book and discussion, and it's called Lead Like Jesus. If you're looking for a new leadership book for all of you leaders out there in business, uh, in, in some kind of company or organization, or you just want to be a great leader around your coworkers, pick up this book, Pastor JT and I highly recommend it, Lead Like Jesus. In the book, the authors tell a story about a guy named Jimmy Blanchard. Jimmy Blanchard actually passed away in May, but he was the former CEO of Synovus, which is a financial services company. And it was voted by Fortune Magazine to be one of the 100 best companies to work for in America. Jimmy was named in 2005 by US Banker Magazine to be one of the 25 most influential people in financial services and Jimmy was passionate about Jesus. In fact, Jimmy's love for God, his desire to learn to love, his, his commitment to keep going inspired everyone around him and, and one of the things he loved to do was to encourage people to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. And wherever it says love, to replace that with your name. And then to slowly read the verses with your name in place of love and ask yourself if those descriptions of yourself are true. And maybe to lean into the descriptions that definitely don't feel like you and to commit to start there in allowing God to change you. And so I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. If we look at it, I'm, I'm going to go first. Okay, I'm going to go first because it's going to get sensitive and hard and, and maybe painful. And especially if you've got family around you, they're going to read some of those and go, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to say their thing. So I'm going to go first. Here we go. Eric is patient. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm well fed. You know what I mean? Like as long as i got a meal in me. Sure, Eric is patient. Eric is kind sometimes. Eric does not envy, absolutely not true. Eric does not boast. Eric is not proud. 
Eric does not dishonor others. Eric is not self-seeking. Eric is not easily angered. Eric keeps no record of wrongs. Eric does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Eric always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I read that list right now, and I go, man, there are a number of those that I need the Holy Spirit to work on in my life. But now let's read it for you. Anthony is patient. Anthony is kind. Samantha does not envy. Ricky does not boast. Jessica is not proud. Andrew does not dishonor others. Rebecca is not self-seeking. Jamar is not easily angered. Bethany keeps no record of wrongs. Jarrett, just thought of Jarrett, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And Carlos always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Are those things, those statements of love, true about you? Love one another deeply. But like you and like me, the first readers of this letter are going, yeah, yeah, but, but it's so hard to love people, especially people you disagree with politically, especially people who, Peter, you don't understand. I could see their Facebook feed. Like I, I read their Twitter and their Instagram posts. Peter, I know how messed up their thinking is. How in the world do I love them deeply? And Peter, just so subtly and profoundly, says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And everyone reading that would have quieted down and said, oh yeah. Because Peter is alluding to Christ. Peter is reminding them that the blood of Christ has covered their sin. That the sacrifice, the death of Jesus has covered my sin. Can I just get personal for a minute? This blows my mind that every time I sin and I think about my past and I worry about things I'm gonna do in the future to remember that the love of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus has covered my sins. Thank you, God. So how do you and I do it? We remember that our sin was covered over by Jesus. That you and I's shortcomings have been dealt with at the cross. And so surely we can do that for others. Let me give you a little tip. As you're stepping into a conversation where some things are going to get brought up that you just disagree with, or you're interacting in a work environment with somebody who thinks so differently than you, or you're so passionate about one thing and nobody else seems to care, can I just give you a tip, a prayer, a simple prayer would be this. Love covered me. Love can cover this. Love covered me so love can cover this. My friends, we got to drill a little bit deeper because our view of love as, as Americans or even just as Christians around the world is sometimes weak, but especially as Americans, it can be a little bit weak and a little bit fragile. So let me remind you of this. Jesus didn't pick and choose who he was going to die for. Let that settle in for a second. Do you remember the people who were hurling insults at him? 
who put him on the cross. Yeah, those people who, who you feel like are hurling insults at you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Jesus didn't pick and choose who he was going to die for. He died for all of humanity, the worst of the worst. And those who put him on the cross, he died for them. And so we, we cannot pick and choose who he has called us to love. For some of you, this this is an important game-changing moment for you. Jesus didn't pick and choose who he was going to die for. We, you, me, we cannot pick and choose who he has called us to love. And number four, the last reason to keep going is I have more to give. Say it with me at home on the count of three. One, two, three. I have more to give. So you need to say it again. I have more to give. You think your tank is empty, you got nothing more. I have more to give. You're worried your talent has run dry and there's no hope for you. I have more to give. You've pressed the issue and no one's responding. I have more to give. Verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let's pause here for a second. Peter says, offer hospitality. Be the kind of follower of Jesus that offers hospitality. Can I just give you a picture of how powerful hospitality is? One of our newest pastors here at Purpose Church is is a young man named Jason. And he's working with our fifth, sixth, and our junior high students. He loves God. He loves God's word. He loves students and families. He loves Purpose Church. And he is called to ministry. He's one of our newest pastors, and he is on fire, and God is going to use him in incredible ways. But when he was a high school student, he wanted nothing to do with God. In fact, he really hated the fact that his parents made him come here. And one day, he was walking to his car, and we got to chat for a few minutes. And I said, Jason, just come to our group. Come to our high school ministry for four weeks. Just come each week and see what happens. And he said, okay, okay. He walks into our high school room, and he's met by a young man named Nick Davis. And Nick Davis introduces himself. And Nick says, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. And he gives him a big hug, which like pre-COVID, so it's not weird. He gives him a big hug. And Jason will tell you that that moment changed everything for him. That moment he was welcomed in, that hospitality was extended to him, was the moment things began to change. And ultimately now our church is going to be so blessed because of his leadership. That all started with Nick practicing hospitality. But hospitality is hard and it's inconvenient. In fact, I love this quote by the 101st Archbishop of Canterbury, Frederick Donald Cogan, he says this, true Christian hospitality is making people feel at home when you wish they were at home. It's okay to laugh at home. It's okay to say that. It's all right. True Christian hospitality is making people feel at home when you wish they were at home. There might be moments where you go, man, I don't want to be hospitable right now. But friends, you have more to give. There's a reason to keep going. 
You never know when you offer hospitality how that could radically transform and change a person's life. And then Peter says there's, there's more. Each of you should use, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. A gift is whatever you have, money, talents, skills, expertise, whatever you have, God calls you to steward it according to his desires. This isn't a get rich scheme with your stuff. This is a kingdom of God mindset change that says everything I have is something God has blessed me with, the skill, the talents, the opportunities. It has all been given to me by God, and so I will use it in the direction that he desires. I just want to ask you a question that I've been personally reflecting on this week, and it's this. Does your bank account show withdrawals and purchases that reflect God's desire? Does your bank account show withdrawals and purchases that reflect God's desire? Whatever gift you've been given, talent, resource, money, how are you using it in the direction of God's kingdom? He continues, if anyone speaks, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised. Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When he talks about speaking, he uses the most general term for it. It literally means in the Greek to make a sound. So he's talking about whenever you're at the dinner table, whenever you're out at a grocery store, Whenever you're hanging out with friends or family, are you speaking in a way as though the words of God are coming from you? Are you holding the words that you say with that much conviction? And when you're serving, do so with the strength that God provides. You know, when, when it comes to preaching here, we take this very seriously whether it's Pastor Glenn or Pastor Lisa or myself or one of our other pastors or another communicator, when they get up and preach, we take it so seriously. We analyze over and over and over again with what is the passage saying. We read commentaries. We talk about it with each other. We pray and we say, God, would you show us what is it that you want to say to your people in this time? And I've watched for the last seven years that I've been here at Purpose Church, I have watched how Pastor Glenn has held up the preaching of the word of God at such a high standard. I've seen him agonize over how do we communicate this. I've seen him prioritize God's word. And it's one of the reasons our church has grown so much is because Pastor Glenn, from the beginning, has said we won't compromise on God's word because it is our foundation. And every Saturday night before I preach, I, uh, I feel this anxiety and this worry Y'all are out on Saturday night having the time of your lives. I'm curled up in my bed going, why am I doing this to myself? I get so nervous because I don't want to mishandle it. I want to I present the word of God appropriately. And I'm always reminded that this is God's calling. That God is the one who brings his word to life. And I started to realize, you know, whether we're preaching or any of our hundreds of people who serve here are serving, 
we have two goals, and it's really simple. It's this, that whenever we speak or serve, here's our two goals. Number one, help the curious find Jesus, and number two, help the Christian follow Jesus. If you're watching right now and you're curious about Jesus, you're trying to figure out this whole God thing, the Bible, following Jesus, why is he such a big deal? Didn't he live 2,000 years ago? Why are people still talking about him? If you're curious, we as a church want to help you find Jesus. That when we preach and when we serve, when, when you're greeted online by one of our chat hosts or, or you come to our physical campus and you're welcomed or, or your life group leader leads you in a discussion, it's because we want to help the curious find Jesus. We have a passion for those who don't know Jesus to eventually follow Jesus. It's why we say everyone everywhere following Jesus is our vision. But if you are a follower of Christ, then our desire is to help you, the Christian, follow Jesus. And so as we open God's word and we welcome you and provide opportunities for you to grow, it's because we want to help you follow Jesus. And so whether you're serving here or preaching or leading in any capacity, never forget. And when you show up, expect this, that we want to help the curious find Jesus and we want to help the Christian follow Jesus. I was, uh, the other night we were uh, watching the show or beginning to watch the show because we had just kind of watched everything on Netflix. You can only watch The Office and Parks and Rec so many times, right? So we're watching Netflix and, and all of a sudden this preview for this show pops up. It's called uh, Down to Earth with Zac Efron. I had no idea what it was about. And so I was like, oh, this looks cool. I'm gonna go get a snack. And so it's like 10 o'clock at night and I pour a giant bowl of Cocoa Krispies, which is my go-to, right? Like it's my favorite dessert. Again, never outgrew my 12-year-old diet. I pour a giant bowl of Cocoa Krispies and I sit down in front of the TV and I click play and all of a sudden the whole episode is on like healthy eating, healthy living, why kale chips are the way of the future and I mean, it, he's just going off and I kind of felt like a hypocrite because he's talking about how important it is to like, you know, eat like locally grown foods and I'm like, I don't know where Cocoa Krispies are grown. I don't think it's local. I just, I don't know but I don't think it's local and I'm sitting there eating it and then Zac Efron has this like preaching moment he has this one line that he said that I just thought was so powerful, and it was this. Success without purpose is a meaningless life. Some of you are really, really successful, and you're still wondering if it's worth it to keep going. Success without purpose is a meaningless life. As we close up, I want to encourage you to keep going. Why should you keep going? Because God is not done with you. Why should you keep going? Because you carry the gospel wherever you go. Why should you keep going? Because learning to love will take you a lifetime. You don't want to shortcut that. Why should you keep going? Because you have more to give. And through it all, here's what I know to be true. Whatever God calls you to, he will see you through. Whatever God calls you to, he will see you through. Keep going. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I ask that you would do what only your spirit can do, that you would inspire and encourage 
Those of us who have been wondering if it's worth it to keep going, would you remind us that you're going to carry us through and that there are four reasons and many, many, many more to keep going. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.